0: you for your patience. You've joined the Tesla Q2 2019 Financial Results and Q&A webcast. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will be given at that time. Should you require any additional assistance during the call, please press star, then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this conference may be recorded. I would now like to turn the call over to your host, Senior Director of Investor Relations, Martin Bieka. Sir, you may begin.
1: Thank you, Latif, and good afternoon, everyone. And welcome to Tesla's second quarter 2019 Q&A webcast. I'm joined today by Elon Musk, J.B. Straubel, Zachary Kirkhorn, and a number of other executives. Our QTA results were announced at about 1.45 p.m. Pacific time in the update letter we published at the same link as this webcast. During this call, we will discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. These comments are based on our predictions and expectations as of today. Actual events or results could differ materially due to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those mentioned in our most recent filings with the SEC. During the question and answers portion of today's call, please limit yourselves to one question and one follow-up. Please press star one now if you would like to join the question queue. But before we jump into Q&A, Elon has some opening remarks, Elon.
2: Uh, Thank you. So last quarter we delivered more than 95,000 vehicles, which is a record for Tesla. Uh, to put that in perspective, it's nearly an 80% increase in deliveries compared to the second quarter of last year. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's sometimes hard for people to appreciate when you have a large manufactured item with a complex global supply chain, just how difficult that is. Um, I'm incredibly proud of the Tesla team for being able to, to do that. Um, I think this, this level of growth is... I'm possibly unprecedented. It might, might be the fastest that, that any large, complex manufactured item has has grown in history. Um, so, uh, just like, re- really great work by the Tesla team to achieve that outcome. Um, and you know, we, we, we expect uh, growth to continue uh, into the future at you know for, for several years to come at, at the 50 to 100 percent level. So. Uh, I just generally think that that is not well appreciated, um, how difficult it is to grow at that that rate. Um, So anyway, but uh, achieving a record number of deliveries is an important milestone and shows the rapid progress we've made in managing a global logistics and delivery operation at at high volume. And uh, as I said, all this was achieved thanks to the tremendous hard work of the entire Tesla team. Uh, Model 3 was once again the best-selling premium vehicle in the US outselling all of its gas-powered equivalents combined. In Europe, Model 3 is approaching sales levels of its established premium competitors, and it was awarded a five-star rating from the Euro NCAP earlier this month. This is in addition to Model 3 receiving an overall five-star rating in the U.S. from NHTSA, uh, including earning five stars in every category and subcategory, and and, uh, achieving the, the lowest probability of injury of any vehicle ever tested. Uh, Motor Trend also recently selected Model S as the best vehicle they have ever tested in their 70-year history across all other cars. So Motor Trend, which is uh, I think arguably the, the, the leading authority in uh, evaluating vehicles, the Motor Trend Car of the Year is, is the most coveted award. Uh, it's, it's pretty incredible that they would say that Model S in their entire 70-year history is the, the best vehicle they have ever evaluated. But so this is despite Tesla n- not buying any advertising in Motor Trend, and I think speaks to their journalistic inte- integrity. Um, that's, uh, that's something special. So, um, And and since the vehicle that they evaluated, we've actually made uh, tremendous advancements in both Model S and Model X, including our recent update of a new uh, suspension uh, with the uh, uh, active damping capability, and uh, a an all-new new drive, drivetrain that's capable of uh, a 370-mile range in the Model S and a 325-mile range in the Model X. We've also uh, issued numerous software uh, updates and improvements that have made Model S and Model X faster, safer, and added dozens of new features. Just like Model 3, Model S and X have the hardware needed for future full self-driving capability. As we look ahead to the rest of the year and into 2020, we remain focused on launching new vehicle and energy programs, uh, further expanding our manufacturing operations and continuing to improve customer service. Uh, We we remain focused on on international expansion because local production is essential to being cost competitive. Uh, By the end of this year, we expect to be producing Model 3s in, in volume out of Gigafactory Shanghai. And as you can see from the photos in our quarterly letter, Equipment installation there is progressing well. Uh, We also have to finalize location for our European Gigafactory before the end of the year. Uh, Here in Fremont, preparations for Model Y production have already begun. Uh, Since Model Y has high component overlap with Model 3, it should be, and we expect it to be, a lot easier to ramp. Um, It's something on the order of of 3 quarters of all the parts are are common between Model 3 and Model Y. and we expect manufacturing costs model wide, despite additional content, to be approximately the same as model three. Uh, this quarter, we opened uh, 25 new service locations and added more than 100 mobile service vehicles to our fleet. And although our fleet, uh, the, the, our total uh, Tesla fleet size has doubled uh, in the past 12 months, which is like again just like a, kind of a crazy thing to consider that Tesla is uh, it, you know almost doubling all cumulative production uh, every year. This is, a, this is a totally mad thing. Um, to, to, to make as many cars in a, in a year as, as we've made in our entire history, um, and to have that be an ongoing trend, I think it, it, it's, it's difficult to, for people to really feel an exponential. We didn't evolve to feel an exponential. We can feel a linear, but, but we could only understand an exponential at a cognitive level. But Tesla is expanding at an, at an exponential rate. Um, and, and In fact, if you look at the Tesla cumulative deliveries uh, chart, like year-over-year your cumulative deliveries, it's, it's about the cleanest exponential graph I've ever seen. So, Obviously, if that trend continues, results I think are going to be pretty amazing, and I think that will continue. Um, so uh, we, we've been able, we're able to improve service considerably, um, and you can imagine that if, if obviously, if if, if we're doub- doubling our fleet every year, um, managing service is, is quite difficult. It's like the total. Because service scales as the, not just with new production, but as the total fleet scales, uh, service needs to scale. Um, And we want to scale service in a way that's sensible from a cost standpoint, Um, but but it's really quite a a difficult challenge to scale. Nonetheless, we've made massive improvements in service, especially in parts waiting, it's time to wait for pods and in collision repair. And we've insourced Quite a great deal of the collision repair activities, which has uh, had, had, I think, quite a good effect on customer happiness, uh, and this will this will continue in the months to come. Uh, we, uh, so, it, it, uh, a very important milestone. I think we, we believe Tesla has is now at the point of being self-funding, and we expect the cash flow, a free cash flow positive, in in future quarters, uh, with the Possible temporary exceptions around uh, the launch and ramp of a new product. Um, um, for from a profitability standpoint, we expect to be probably around breakeven this quarter and profitable next quarter. Um, so that's uh, I, I you know feel pretty pretty confident about that. Um, and then in terms of deliveries, we expect deliveries to be between 360 and 400,000. Uh, we expect production to be a slightly higher number than that um, and demand to be a slightly higher number than, than that. So the people often confuse deliveries, production, and orders for, for Tesla, and they're, they're actually three different numbers. Um, so, you obviously cannot deliver more than you make, uh, so typically we will make more than we deliver. Um, and then, uh, the demand demand generation activities kind of move in kind of like a um, it, 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 you know it, 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 to get together with production. Like it, it doesn't make sense to put a lot of effort into demand generation if if production can't meet the, the demand. Then um, likewise, so. so what tends to happen is that we'll solve the production issues. Then it's like, okay, we need to increase demand, address demand. Then uh, they increase production. Then increase demand. Uh, and, and like, it, it's like people get caught up in these details a lot. But if you look at the actual results, like I said, look look at cumulative deliveries over time for Tesla. Cleanest exponential we have ever seen extrapolate that curve. So there's a tremendous amount to be excited about at Tesla and we'll have more share in the coming uh, weeks and months. Uh, Zach, is there anything you'd like to say about our results?
3: Yeah, sure, Uh, thanks, Elon. Uh, A few things I wanna highlight before moving into the Q&A. Overall, Q2 was a strong quarter for Tesla. I'm extremely proud of the team for the progress we've made. We've achieved record vehicle production and delivery record storage production and deployment, record services and other revenue with a corresponding reduced loss. As we've mentioned a few times, we stabilized international logistics and delivery operations at higher volumes, and we saw gross margin improvement in nearly every aspect of the business, adjusting for the impact of regulatory credit revenue. As a result of these accomplishments, we once again achieved strong free cash flows which is only partially attributed to working capital benefits. We also successfully raised roughly 2.4 billion in net proceeds in May. Thus, we exited the quarter with 5 billion in cash and cash equivalents, the highest in our history. Our net loss reduced significantly relative to Q1, aided by higher volumes and progress on cost efficiencies. A few things to note, uh, there's 117 million within operating expenses for restructuring. Uh, we had a sequential reduction of 104 million related to regulatory credits, which is inherently lumpy. And in our other income line, we saw a 66 million reduction. This is nearly entirely due to foreign exchange, uh, which we don't hedge. GAP automotive gross margin only reduced slightly despite the reduction in credit revenue and expected reductions in our vehicle average selling prices. Adjusting for the impact of credits, automotive gross margin improved materially. For Model S and Model X, ASPs were impacted by pricing actions applied to inventory of vehicles built prior to the launch of our powertrain and suspension upgrades in April, the majority of which were sold and delivered in Q2. For Model 3, global ASPs stabilized during the quarter at roughly $50,000 a sequential reduction, yet gross profit per Model 3 improved, representing the continued success of our cost management efforts. Note that we continue to defer a significant portion of revenue associated with full self-driving, which will be recognized in future periods upon the release of additional features. Operating expenses net of restructuring continues to improve as well, despite the increases in volume, reflecting the immense focus on improving our operating efficiency. And while operating expenses and capital expenses may appear to be unnaturally low this quarter, that's not the case. Rather, these reflect continued progress on cost efficiency and ability to scale our core technologies and processes. Uh, If we take a step back here, I think it's important to remember that Tesla is on a long-term journey, and it's difficult to see the full picture looking quarter to quarter. We committed that Model 3 would be a transformative product both for the industry and our business. Three years ago, we unveiled the Model 3. Two years ago, we brought the product to market. One year ago, we demonstrated our ability to build the Model 3 at high rates. So far this year, we've demonstrated our ability to manage global deliveries and logistics at a higher rate. But the most important thing is that we've demonstrated our ability to generate significant organic demand as nearly all orders generated in Q2 were non-reservation holders. And thus far in Q3, our order pacing is ahead of where we were at this point in Q2. And as we noted in our Q2 production and delivery release, our order backlog increased over the course of Q2. Ultimately, the Model 3 is accomplishing what our business needs it to do. It expanded our sales and customer base, enabling us to generate cash we need to reinvest. In the process, we've appropriately managed our operating expenses and have reduced the cost of running the business. This is critically important because I feel as though we've broken through a baseline fixed cost barrier enabled by the success of the Model 3 business. With continued focus on execution and cost management, the next 12 to 18 months should be the most exciting yet. During this time, we believe that Gigafactory Shanghai will be producing at scale. Model Y will be in production, addressing the most popular vehicle segment. Our European Gigafactory will be well underway. Our autonomous driving feature suite will continue to develop. Energy products business will grow, and maybe a few other things along the way. And while there's inherent risk in any large and ambitious set of projects, our intent is to grow and invest as fast as we can afford to. With the cash we have on hand and the stabilization of Model 3 across the key areas, as i noted, we believe we're in great shape for this next phase of growth.
1: Thank you very much. Um, uh, let's uh, start taking some first questions. Um, um, sorry about that, sorry, go ahead. Yes, yeah,
2: so, thank you. Um, so, so, else we're, uh, so, um, important update uh, is uh, uh, JV Straubel, uh, Co-Founder and Chief Technology Officer, will be transitioning to a Senior Advisor from the CTO role. Uh, and uh, Drew Baclino will be taking over uh, uh, most of JV's responsibilities. Um, I'd like to thank JV for his fundamental role in, in, in creating and, and uh, in building Tesla. Thank you, JV.
4: <clears throat> Thanks, Elon.
2: Um, the, if, if we hadn't had lunch in 2003, Tesla wouldn't wouldn't exist. Basically, it's
4: like it's been. Uh, it's, yeah, it's been uh, quite an adventurous 16 years.
2: Yeah. L- lunch with you and Hal and at Smith, Edward uh, McCormick and Schmick's in El <laughs> that's, that's the reason Tesla exists. I remember it well. Where is?
4: <laughs> and uh, maybe just to, to to add a bit more to that, um, you know, I'm I'm not disappearing, and you know I. I just want to make sure that people understand that this is not um, not some, you know, lack of confidence in the company or the team or anything like that. Uh, it's, I, I love the team and I love the company and I, I always will. Uh, so, you know, Drew and uh, Drew and I have worked closely together for many, many years and, uh, you know, I have total confidence in Drew and, and not going anywhere if there's anything I need to do to be helpful to, to Drew or the whole team or, or any of the ongoing projects. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm actually you know really happy with uh, with how we've kind of you know phased and, and transitioned uh, some of these different projects and people in, and I feel like this is a, a super good process overall. Um, <clears> Here, <throat> you want to
5: say? Uh, I'll just say, uh, you know, obviously, uh, big big shoes to fill, uh, JB, um, but uh, we have been working closely. Uh, in fact, we were even talking about this project back in 2003. Uh, all along and uh but you guys
2: talked about it in two thousand three as well. Yes. Well,
5: Yeah. Two thousand three is a big year. I was graduating and I didn't know what to do. So okay. I was like oh we should do this project. Uh but uh no I, I uh I'm I'm v i am i am I feel exactly as you feel that um uh we, that we are well well set up um that we know uh how to get help where, where we need to from you um and that uh, we're very excited about the, the growth ahead of us, uh, myself and, and the whole team, so.
2: Yeah. Um.
5: <clears throat> and, and I'm excited to stay involved in, in some
4: of our core technologies and, and uh, you know, follow that and help where I can, uh, just in less of, a, less of an operational, obviously less not an executive uh, type role.
2: Sounds good. Well, JB, th- thanks again for your instrumental role in creating this company. Uh, and Andrew as well. <laughs> uh, so um, that's cool that you guys are talking about it in 2003. Yeah, that was like the right year. <laughs> a good
5: year. A good year. It was. Re- it was the the technology was ready.
2: You know, it was the time. Yeah, the the ion was like fi- finally ready. Just needed to be put in a car. AC propulsion. Alcicani Tom Gage. Well, T-Zero, you're to give those guys a lot of credit. Yeah. Yeah, they did some, some pioneering work. Yeah. Um, great, I think we'll go some right. to to questions. Yeah.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, so we have some uh, first questions from our retail shareholders from say.com. Uh, and the first question is, it has been stated that Tesla is supply constrained, not demand constrained. Can you help us shed some light on why Tesla is lowering car costs if supply is constrained,
2: uh, sure. There's a, a number of things to consider here. Um, the, 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 there's, there's really two key dimensions for demand. There's um, value for money, and then there's uh, affordability. Um, obviously, if somebody simply does not have enough money to buy the car, it doesn't matter how much the uh, the value, how good the value for money is. You can have infinite value for money if somebody does does not have have the funds to buy the car. They simply can't get it. Um, so, th- this is just very important to, to parse those two. Um, and, um, you know, I think there's like, there's a tremendous amount of desire to buy, buy our cars, but people obviously, if they don't have enough money to buy them, they cannot. Um, so, we, we have to make, make the cars more affordable. Um, and the, effectively, in, in, like in the US, our cars got um, almost $2,000 more expensive with the expiry of the tax credit on July 1, or partial expiry. Um, and we uh, we only uh, dropped the price of the the, the the standard range plus model three um, by a thousand dollars, or actually, yeah, about a thousand dollars. So the the uh, base model three actually got eight thousand dollars more expensive, um, which seemed like a reasonable compromise. Uh, so that that's. Yeah, that, that's essentially what I mean. People sometimes just have these sort of pretty absurd notions, like if uh, if you know if, if demand is high, I can't you just charge any price. Like, no, you cannot charge any price. <laughs> um, I think making our cars more affordable is also fundamentally part of the, the Tesla mission. So, um, yeah. If you want to add,
3: yeah, I'll just add to that. I, I agree completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I'll add is that, uh, generally speaking, within the Model 3 lineup, uh, the pricing adjustments for our higher trim cars were slightly more than that for the standard plus. So, the, the, um, so, you know, we'll see how the data plays out on this as we take in more orders, but the expectation is that our mix will move towards higher trim to some extent, you know, offsetting some of the ASP uh, adjustments from the pricing changes. Uh, and one other thing I'll add is that you know, we, we are focusing um, on a couple of markets as well uh, to target and densify some of our sales, and so some of our pricing adjustments reflect those elements of that strategy.
2: Yeah. Essentially, we expect average selling price to be
3: the same within a few percentage points. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, generally on ASP, as we noted in the letter, uh, it was roughly uh, even over the course of the quarter stabilized around $50,000. And we have good visibility into where ASPs are going based on order data. So that gives us, you know, one to two months of lead as to where our actual recognized ASPs will be. And so I would expect uh, some adjustment to our Model 3 ASPs as a result of this pricing change. But the trim mix will offset some of that. Uh, And we continue to make great progress on cost efficiencies. And so overall in net, our expectation is that the Model 3 gross margin will continue to grow.
2: Yeah, on the gross margin point, like the like uh, full, full self-driving is just is an extremely important part of the margin calculation, um, and the, the features for full self-driving are uh, only a, only a portion of them have have rolled out. So the revenue recognition on the full self-driving option is uh, limited at first until those features roll out. And uh, and also, the demand for the full self driving package is limited uh, because the the features are mostly prospective instead of current. Uh, But as those features roll out, um, I would expect the take rate for full self driving to increase significantly, as well as the recognition, revenue recognition of full self driving to uh, obviously match the rollout of the product. So, the gross margin over time will. be really quite compelling. Um, went back to the end the full self-driving option, which is, yeah, headed to 7K on in mid-August. Um, and that, that number will increase over time.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, the second question is, uh, many of us who follow Tesla closely are incredibly excited about a battery and powertrain Investor Day and its technology implications. Can you provide us any more detail on when this will be and what will be covered?
2: Yeah, I think for our battery day, we're going to do a comprehensive review of cell chemistry um, module and pack uh, architecture and um, a manufacturing plan that uh, it has a clear roadmap to a terawatt-hour per year. Now, we're, we're, the, the timing for this probably is um, about six months, like maybe February or March next year. Show and tell.
1: Great, <laughs> right. thank you very much. Uh, the next question is, um, you stated on the Q4 2018 earnings call that customer service was a personal priority for 2019. Can you update us on what has been done to date to ensure that all owners are receiving an industry-leading customer
2: experience? Sure. Um, I meet with the, the service team uh, multiple times a week uh, and, and get daily updates on the reliability of the vehicle. We've you know, like the, the best service, of course, is, is no service. Like that's the, like the vehicle, just reliability and, and quality being being uh, so good that services rarely required. That's the, that's the that's the main goal. Is like uh, eliminate the need for service. Um, then, in terms of increasing service resources, as I mentioned, we're we're opening service centers as fast as we as we can, um, uh, and um, uh, and, and have already opened to 25 new service locations this quarter, and that, that will increase, uh, the, the, the rate of service center opening will, will increase dramatically again through the course of this year, as well as more more mobile service. Mobile service is really great, because it's like, we, we just come to you and fix the car, wherever you are. Um, and uh, that's, it's hard to beat that for convenience. Um, the for parts delivery, we've made massive improvements to the logistics that for, for getting uh, getting parts to service centers. Uh, I mean, Jerome, do you want to... Uh, uh, Jerome, Jerome is, is uh, helping manage the, the, the service, the uh, global service and...
6: Uh, yeah, and as, as you pointed out, service, the best service is no service. So we're trying to uh, continue improving the quality of the cars. I am mean, track this daily, um, and fewer and fewer service visits are required uh, for the, the most recent cars. Uh, that we're building, so we're on a good trend there. Um, we also need a lot fewer um, work to uh, finish the cars in the factory. Uh, besides that, we store way m- many more parts at all the service centers, and we ship everything same day, uh, pretty much, so that uh, people don't have to wait for car uh, for parts, and we accelerate uh, the service, um, and, um, and we increase uh, capacity. There's a lot of improvements. Uh, that we've already implemented and many more on the way. So uh, I'm relatively optimistic and I'm happy
2: to, uh, to help with the service team. Yeah. We had, we had the regional service heads in, um, in the U.S. at the factory uh, that, last week and it was incredibly helpful. Um, just a closed loop on, with, with service and production and with the software team. Um, and for example, like a lot, a lot of service uh, visits are just questions about how to use the car. And
6: it's uh, the number one visit. Yeah. the number one visit is uh, uh, how to use autopilot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. A little bit of uh, uh, education there helps.
2: Yeah. Like, literally, how do I turn it on?
6: Yeah.
2: <laughs> like, it's, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just like, how do I turn it on? Yeah. Okay. So, so just, just providing better feedback on. User interface and officially how do you turn it on? Um, and uh, yeah, for, for, for a whole bunch of things that are quite elementary to, to, to reduce service load.
1: Okay. And uh, the next question is: uh, In April, Gigafactory One had efficiency of about 23 out of the 35 gigawatt hours theoretical capacity. Has this has this been improved yet? Uh, and is Tesla still cell constrained? Are there any uh, near-term plans to increase the plant theoretical capacity?
5: Andrew? Uh, we have seen uh, uh, improvements in the 23 gigawatt hour number. We're in the high, high 20s now uh, with uh, the trajectory continuing upward. Um, we're not-
2: we about 28-ish?
5: Yeah, 28-ish, yep. Yeah. Uh, I would say we're not still constrained for any of our activities at the moment.
2: Well, uh, it's, it's, it's cell volume is approximately matching the production ramp rate. Yes
5: yeah great thank you very much
1: and the last question is uh, what is the new lathrop facility
2: um no, right. no, no, nothing nothing major yeah, we're we're just, distribution warehouse
6: yeah we're optimizing the real estate try to consolidate everything under one roof reduce the, uh, the cost there's not really nothing special there
1: Okay, thank you very much, uh, Latif. We can start the q and um, question queue uh, on the call.
0: Yes, sir. Our first question comes from the line of Dan Gauss of woof Research. Your line is open.
7: Hey, uh, thanks very much for uh, taking the questions um, and congrats on the five billion cash number. I'm halfway expecting to some headlines tomorrow of you know Tesla's got too much cash on the balance sheet. Um, I was wondering if you could um, update update us on um, Gigafactory China. Uh, I don't have a great sense of of what delivery volumes in China are for Model 3 at the moment. Some sources are around maybe 3 or 4,000 per month. Uh, What have you seen in terms of uh, order flow and demand um, since you announced pricing of the local product uh, that gives you confidence that you can get to to 3,000 per week type of demand in
2: that market? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 we want don't talk too much about like detailed price plans, but I I mean, if you ask me, like, what what do I think the uh, long term demand for Model Three is in kind of the Greater China region? I I think it's about meaning from from Shanghai Chi- Gigafactories. I think it's actually long term demand is about five thousand a week.
7: Okay, and. So, um, Sounds good. Uh, and, and have you considered, you know, potentially sourcing uh, cars to Europe from that China plant at all?
2: Uh, no, our plan is to, uh, well, to, to uh, source cars to greater sort of greater Europe area from from Fremont, California, um, and, and until we have uh, European Gig factory operational, um, and that, but that that's probably. A couple of years before, you know, it's probably 2021 20, before we have an operational Euro- gigafactory in Europe. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, it's all the time we will source f- f- from California. Um, yeah. Um, you know, like, if, if you say, like, like again, again this is speculation, it's my opinion, but so what, what, what do I, th- I think, say, long term demand is for Model 3? It's probably. 15,000 units a week globally, something like that.
7: Okay, thanks for, thanks for taking my questions.
0: Yeah.
1: Thank you, let's go to the next question, please.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Tony Saganagi, Al Bernstein. Your line is open. Uh, yes, thank you.
8: Um, I, I was wondering if you can comment about whether you felt that Q2 benefited from uh, consumers in the U.S. uh, sort of rushing out to buy Model 3s in advance of uh, the declining uh, federal tax credit, uh, a phenomenon that you sort of saw in Q4. And part of the reason I ask is, at least by my analysis, it looks like maybe 70% of the Model 3s sold in the quarter were in the U.S., which is sort of higher than your normalized percentage of U.S. sales, and so um, do do you feel that that phenomena may have occurred in Q2, and are you still confident that Q3 uh, deliveries can improve sequentially and beyond the data point that you provided on the call uh, that, you know, the – uh, orders quarter data better than last quarter. Is there is there anything else you can point to that provides that confidence?
2: Yeah, I think I think we'll um, ha, ha, demand in, in Q3 will exceed Q2. It it, ha, it has thus far, and 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 I think we'll see some acceleration of that. Um, so. And then I, th- I think Q4 will be, I think, very strong. Uh, so we uh, ex- expect like quarter over quarter improvements. Um, I-, I think Q- Q1 next year will be, will be tough. I think uh, Q- Q3 and Q4 will be good. Q1 will be tough. Q2 will be not not as bad, but still tr- still tough. And then I'd say like Q3 and Q4 next year will be
3: incredible. Yeah, uh, just to add on on the tax credit step-down, so the step-down from Q2 to Q3 was significantly lower than the step-down from Q4 to Q1. It's also important to keep in mind that there's seasonality in the auto business in Q1, which also was part of the impact. But generally speaking, our order rate so far this quarter uh, is higher than where we were at this point in Q2, and we haven't seen a significant impact on uh, US-based orders as a result of the step-down. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, If I could just follow up, Um,
8: Elon, I'm wondering if you can comment on whether you believe Model 3 is having any cannibalization impact on S and X sales or um, why you think that or why else there might be sort of a structural step down in uh, the demand and delivery levels relative to what we've seen, you know, over the last five or six years.
2: Um, actually, we're not. We're just talking about this earlier today. We're not quite sure ourselves. Um, I think that there's going to some cannibalization. Um, I think maybe uh, a false expectation in the market that there's like some big overhaul coming for S and X, which which then, you know, cause people to hesitate to buy if they think there's like some radical redesign coming, which is why I emphasize publicly that this is not the case. Um, The the Model S and X today are radically better than the ones that, uh, you know, when when we first started production, especially S. Like say like 2013 or 2012 Model S compared to today's Model S night and day. Um, In fact, I, I, I still run into people I know who have like 2013 Model S and they, they think it, it, ha, it hasn't changed. I'm like, it is dramatically better in every way. Um, but, but we don't do model years, we, we just roll in improvements as they come. So, um, you know, but I, I think there is maybe a, a communications issue where um, people don't realize just how much better the SNX are today than, than when we first started. Um, and I, we obviously want to address that communications issue. Um, and just get get better a better understanding, and, and you know, f- f- from the front lines, like what um, demand should be higher for SNX than than it is, and 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 we'll we'll get to the bottom of it and fix it. Okay, thank you very much. Let's go to the next question.
0: Next question comes from Emmanuel Rossner of Deutsche Bank. Your line is open. Hey, it's Edison on for Emmanuel. Um, just uh,
5: First question on the, the guidance. Um, I know previously there was a target out there of 25% kind of on the SX and Model 3. Just wondering, is the, is the updated one, is that suggesting that that's no longer in play for the year? Or um, kind of what are the implications
2: um, with today's update? Uh, well, if you factor in the full self-driving option i think it, it is in play for the year um the you know we, we just need to get the futures done make sure they're great roll them out and and re- recognize revenue and and increase the the take rate on a, a full self-driving there's also for the, the existing fleet there's a, a very significant opportunity to upgrade the existing fleet to full self-driving since most of the fleet has not purchased this option yet so there's a there's a significant um, uh, margin potential for the existing fleet to upgrade to full self driving um which m- most of the fleet can so yeah um i absolutely think like long term we are we are talking twenty five to thirty percent not long long term meaning like a year um long to my tales of vernacular. Uh, that 30% gross margin is, I think, quite likely.
3: Yeah, and we we continue to take significant cost out of uh, the Model 3 in particular as well. And Jerome can comment further on this. But every week, nearly every week, we hit record lows on a labor content to build a vehicle. And uh, you know, we saw an ASP adjustment. A reduction in Model 3 from Q1 to Q2, yet the gross profit on the vehicle expanded, attributed to the cost reduction efforts that are underway.
6: Yeah, labor costs are uh, more than 50% reduction in one year. Uh, yeah, and, and it's progressive every quarter. Um, yeah,
2: it's what it's like, so what the, what the labor hours were, quarter over quarter?
6: And reduced in half, yeah, uh, since the Q3 uh, last year. But it's also all the um, um, effects associated. The spares, the scrap is reduced to uh, pretty much nothing. Reduced uh, 90% year over year. Spares reduced more than half. Also, so we're, uh, our goal is to make the core more, the car more affordable, and that's why we're pushing every day. Yeah. And every week we beat records on most lines. Yeah. Yeah, in, the, the in terms of output and cost per unit, yeah. We're in very good uh, dynamic and uh, a level of fiscal discipline that I have not, you know, we have not had in the past.
2: Agreed, yeah. So like from a core financial health standpoint, I think, I just like the, echo Jerome's words, like I think Tesla's fiscal discipline is dramatically better than at times in the past.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Joseph Osha of GMP Securities. Your line is open.
1: Oh, uh, hello, hello. Um, listen, uh, listening to you talk about mix here and uh, the fact that you're running a single shift, uh, your S and X facilities in Fremont. I'm, I'm wondering, is there maybe some potential to to reconfigure the the floor space there a bit, and uh, is that something that you're you're thinking about?
2: Um well we we are reconfiguring the floor space in Fremont, uh and there's a like quite a lot of, of factory space that's currently taken up with the S X uh parts we're housing, or part parts for the S X line. And and we don't really need that. So that's that's where we're putting a lot of the model Y activity. Um yeah, Jerome, do you wanna?
6: Yeah, we uh where we're improving the material delivery uh, for uh, SMX, just like we have done for Model 3. I've seen some uh, radical improvements. We reduced uh, production part warehousing cost by, again, 90%, nine zero, since uh, Q3 last year. Yeah. Uh, and so we're making a lot of room. Uh, we have, we're, we're much more efficient with parts delivery. It helps uh, that we're increasing production, actually. Um, and so that space that we cleared out, I'm looking at it right now, uh, in, in Fremont, um, we're just gonna put more white stuff in there. So every uh, if you visit the factory from, uh, I would say, every six months, you'd have a hard time recognizing and finding your way, yeah. It's constantly changing and evolving, yeah. Yeah, I mean, fall- I'm sorry, go sorry, ahead. So I was gonna
2: say, like the, just the efficiency of this factory, is, uh, both Fremont and Giga, is like, the, the just the rate of improvement, um, which is not slowing down, has, has been incredible. Uh, it's like, you just like, you can feel it. And see it. Um,
1: And just just as a follow-on, then, could we see you manage to make eight thousand, you know, seven thousand five hundred, eight thousand Model Threes in Fremont by the the end of the year? You think?
2: Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, It's. uh, I mean, I feel I feel confident of of, the. It's. Yeah. At least to say that the trend is very clearly towards being able to get uh, to ten thousand vehicles a week, um, of which. That, that would be, you know, those are very rough numbers like like eighty three to eighty six hundred Model Threes and the, the balance in S and X. So, six, sort of, you know, sixteen to eighteen hundred SX, and like, cool, cool, yeah, in, in round numbers, threes Threes, fifteen hundred SX per week, um, but probably a bit more than that.
0: Okay, thank you, Alex. Our next question comes from the line of Dan Levi of Keter Suisse. Your line is open.
5: Hi. Great. Thanks for uh, taking the question. Um, I wanted to ask about your uh, reg credits, um, in particular the uh, non-ZEV piece. I mean, you're not disclosing the ZEV piece anymore, but um, just a, a couple of questions on this. First, how can we think, is there any quarterly cadence to think about this? Um, and then. What's the the composition of this? Is this going purely to European OEMs? There's obviously one automaker that you've uh, agreed with. Uh, I I don't know if there are any others that you're looking at. And lastly, to what extent um, can you or are you willing to sacrifice pricing in Europe to sell uh, higher volumes to generate more red credits? And are you having
3: discussions with other automakers on this front? Yeah, um, on your question about the cadence of regulatory credits, it's, um, it is uh, it is g- generally, as I've commented in the past, we expect regulatory credits to become a more meaningful part of our business. On a quarter-to-quarter basis, it's very difficult to forecast them. You know, as you saw from Q1 to Q2, that declined. And so as you model regulatory credits uh, in Q3, um, you know I would not expect uh, a, a significant increase in regulatory credits, although it's hard to forecast exactly. Um, you know, the regulatory credits composition is a mixture of, you know, there's particular deals that are one-time, there's also some that are production-based over time. The production-based ones are easier to forecast because it's based on cars that we build and we get an offset to that. The deal-specific ones are lumpier, which makes it more difficult. Um, and then your final question was on, uh, does it make sense to uh, sacrifice pricing to drive regulatory credit in certain markets? Um, it, it might. I'm not sure if we've you know, specifically gone into the details of that, but you know, generally we're selling cars in markets at the prices we think are appropriate, Yeah. and the regulatory credit uh, is something that's additional. We, we generally try not to run the business based on regulatory credit revenue. Thank yeah,
2: you. I mean, I, I, the, the regulatory credits is a, it's a, I mean, it's a relatively small part of the equation for, for Tesla. So, uh, and, and the, the, the the I think the ZEV credit situation I think really needs reform because the, the market for ZEV credits is negligible. Um, now, now, some of the, some of what's happening here is the, the the you know the other manufacturers are kind of like waiting to see how their EV sales do. Um, before, you know, buying any credits from Tesla. And so it kind of depends on on how that goes. If they sell more EVs, then then there's not really a need to do a deal with Tesla, and if they sell fewer, then there is.
1: Great. Let's go to the next question, please.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Colin Rush of Oppenheimer. Your line is open.
5: Um, you know, can can you walk us through the the plan for battery sourcing in China? How many, uh, how much of the, the supply is going to come from internally produced batteries? How much is coming from externally? And, and what's your expectation around uh, cost per, per watt hour as you start to ramp? I, don't,
2: I mean, I, I don't know if we wanted to talk about the details of battery supply, but we we, we believe we've. We have a good handle on, we don't expect to be be self-constrained in China for the next, you know, year. I don't know. Drew, what do you think?
5: Yeah, that's that's what our plan looks like right now.
2: Um, In terms
5: of internal versus external, I think we should wait until we have our discussion uh, early next year. Uh, But, yeah, we have agreements in place with, you know, although we're, we're good for the next year, as you said, you yeah. know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think like we probably need like, to just do like a reset, like mostly a master plan part, part three, but it's sort of like at uh, least to some degree, like battery day will, will be kind of like a master plan part three, um, which is like, okay, how, how do we get from uh, kind of in the tens of gigawatt hours per year to you know, multiple terawatt hours per year. Um, you know, what, that that's that's a pretty giant scale increase. Um, As so, you know, that's like increased by sort of roughly a hundred. Like you know, if we're like at 28 gigawatt hours right now. Um, well, actually, yeah, there's more than that when you count the, the factories in Japan. Uh, so, collect like a little over 30, so 35 or something like that. Um, then, how do we get to like two terawatt hours a year? You know, which is like, so, two order of magnitude increase.
5: That's the way you have to think about it, because yeah. that's what we need to do.
2: Yeah, exactly. In, in order to re- really make a fundamental shift in the world's uh, energy usage and, and, and really uh, really transform things to a sustainable energy future um, if you're not in the terawatt- hour range' it's, it's like it's, it's a it's a nice news story but it's not fundamentally changing the energy equation.
5: Okay, and can I have a follow-up question around Model X and Model X saturation? You know, obviously, you guys have some some ideas around how big that market is. How should we be thinking about sustainable volumes and 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 pricing uh, on on those volumes? You know, uh, obviously, we're we're seeing some lower numbers here, and I think that's that's a core element of uh, what's going on with the story. That as we we see pricing drop and volumes drop. Um, what are the right numbers to think about for you guys from a from a planning standpoint in terms of uh, sell through on on both the Model S and Model X?
2: Yeah, I, I think there's probably a bit too much focus on on S and X. Um, and this, this the, the S and X are they're 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 nice, but but they're not, you know, and I think it's it's like, we, we, you know, without them we couldn't spell sexy, so. Um, you know, so that, like I would say, like you know, the main reason, well, not the main reason, but it, <laughs> a, a, a a reason <laughs> is we we want to keep spelling sexy. So that's that that like that is a reason I should say, not the main reason, but the a reason <laughs> to keep going with S and X. But but the the, the story for 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 tales in the future is fundamentally Model Three and Model Y, and and you know I think like I said like my my guess is like like long term tales of of long term meaning you know in a couple of years type of thing uh, the demand for sales demand for and, and three is like on the order of three quarters of a million units a year uh, and it's probably one and a quarter million units a year for model y so the, the, the combined is like maybe two million from those two vehicles alone um, and and then SX is like you know maybe 80 to 100 K uh, a year so it's like Four or five percent of the volume of three and one, um, and then you throw like a, a truck in there, pickup truck, and tell the semi, they just get smaller and smaller. So, you know, they're, they're 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 great products, but they're from a volume standpoint, they're you know not all that important in the long term.
1: Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please.
0: Next question comes from Pierre Farrago of New Street Research. Your line is open. Hey, thank you
5: for taking my question.
0: Uh, I'd like to 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 ask you, Elon,
6: about uh, distribution. So you 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 made like uh, you guys made a, a big change in the, at the beginning of the year, going from like an almost uh, 100% online distribution model. You tried to push back on uh, on test drive and get people to buy the car, try it, and return it if they don't like it. So could you give us uh, an update on uh, how it is progressing? Do you see Tesla becoming like a, mostly like an online distri- distribution, uh, following an online distribution model? And I saw you open 25 new uh, retail locations uh, in the quarter. So how do you see your uh, retail footprint evolving over
2: time? Um, actually, I was saying, look, we opened 25 service locations. Um, I think the, 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 really what we find is that the, the word of mouth for a Tesla is incredibly good. So once there is a, a nucleus of customers in a particular area that they love the cars and they talk to their, their, all their friends about it, and that, that's really what drives sales. So you can think of like like a retail location is kind of like a, like a viral seed um, in in an area. Uh, it, it would grow organically by itself, but but the the retail location essentially is like a viral seed. Um, it's not, it's not, they aren't needed. They're just—they're they're like an accelerant. Um, the, the, what, what's, what's, what is needed to, for, for sales in, in any given area? And I'd say this worldwide. I do not it, you know, frequently be told like this country is different or that country is different. I'm like, people around the world pretty much want the same thing. So, in my experience, uh, but they, they have to—you have to have um, a service location uh, that's convenient. So it can't be like you've got to drive you know, five hours to a service location. Um, so you have to, have, you have to have service. You have to have supercharging and charging well sorted out. You've got to have good consumer financing, and then the price must make sense. Um, and any place where those four things are true, our sales are great. So we're rolling out service centers like crazy. So service centers are the key to sales, not the retail locations.
3: Yeah, and we're going city by city on the service center point. We're looking at where our populations are of existing customers. We're mapping driving time from those customers to the service centers, inclusive of traffic, to improve densification of our service centers in the locations in which our customers currently reside. We do have areas that are underrepresented with service centers, where the drive time is too long, or there are populations that don't have appropriate access to charging their service centers and we're working as fast as we can to get places up and running in those areas. So, uh, it's very systematically being mapped out with a focus on service and supercharging as opposed to a retail presence. Yeah.
2: The supercharging is incredibly important. You can't just have like 80% of the routes that somebody wants to take. You need 100% of the routes. Because a car is like, really freedom to travel. And anything that inhibits freedom to travel is it compares the fundamental value of the product. Or perceived. Yeah, exactly, real or perceived, mm-hmm. for freedom of travel.
1: Thank you, let's go to the next question, please.
0: Our next question comes from Joseph Speck of RBC Capital Markets. Your question, please.
5: Uh, thanks. Um, so, Elon, you mentioned, um, you know, the importance of uh, false self-driving for gross margin. You've also mentioned the importance of, of China. Um, Do you expect to be able to offer the full self-driving suite um, that you plan to offer in the U.S. and China? And I guess even in Europe where they've also been a little bit tougher um, on
2: regulating. Um, Yeah, we expect to be able to offer full self-driving actually everywhere except uh, EU because uh, there's there's, uh, just some uh, committee rules that were put in place Years ago, that that need to be changed. It's not from a technical standpoint; it's very doable. Uh, but we just need to work through the regulatory committees to um, to, to get the re- uh, regulatory approvals and, and and rules changed. And it, it it just it'll just take a bit longer than than other places. But I think we'll see uh, a lot of pressure from our customers in Europe to have these rules changed so they can have access to full self-driving. Um, and I think at the end of the day, the you know, regulators will answer to, to the public. Um, so, so I think that's, uh, you know, it's just a temporary thing and it's, and it's quite specific to, to the to EU uh, rules. Um, and and we were just not present really when those rules were drafted. So, that, that's, so they sort of got put in place, but they, they, don't, they don't make a ton of sense, but we just gotta work through the process to change them.
5: Okay. And then the second question is, you know, you mentioned service um, a number of times. There's obviously been some, I think, growing frustration with with, with owners. Um, And and you mentioned, you know, parts availability and and you've issued the the dealership model. But, um, you you know, I guess, how do you plan on increasing parts availability without the corresponding working capital uh, commitment that would be required as
2: the fleet continues to grow? Uh, it's actually just t- taking the parts that were stored in a, in a bunch of warehouses and just moving them to the service centers. Um, and and kind of just like the, the thing that makes sense is to, I think to to have the service centers where the parts are kind of all on the wall and it's like a supermarket. Like you know you always know where like the Cocoa Puffs are, um, and and you can just go immediately and go and grab it and then you just replenish the, the, the shelves with with parts. And so we're we're basically putting all parts that are used. Uh, Frequently than like six weeks um, on literally on the walls on service, service centers. So you, um, there's there's no there's no ordering of the part. You just go take off the shelf and put it on the car. Um, really want to get to not not merely same same day service but same hour. Um, sort of like Jeffy Lube but applied generally to service.
3: Yeah, and specifically on the working capital piece of this, we we actually have. Um, a' s- significant amount of service parts inventory. The challenge is it's just not at the service centers yeah and so a lot of the lag that is experienced is we have to get the part from a distribution center to the service center and so by moving by localizing the parts i don't I don't expect that to be a large working capital drain on the company it might actually be the reverse yeah where we don't need to store as many parts centrally.
2: Yeah, and, and also just having their you know, parts, if they're made at, if we make them internally or if they're made at a supplier, just sending them directly to the service center instead of like having them go through a bunch of distribution exactly. outlets. It's, in fact, like when I was in China, my last trip, I was like asking the China team, hey, is there anything silly that we're doing that we should fix? And I said, yeah. Um, well, several of the parts that require replacement are, are literally made in China and uh, a- and then we end up shipping them to New Jersey and then back to China. And could we please uh, just ship them like literally across the road? Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> There's all these like crazy things that happen, As you know, if you're like, if you have a 45,000 person company and, and then just gonna kind of basically start, stop doing silly things uh, is, uh, you know, a lot of what we is needed for, for, for improvement.
3: Um, and, and as the scale of the business increases, the economics of localization of, of things like parts distribution make a lot more sense. Whereas in the past, when the company was smaller, having centralized centers it was easier from, from a cost perspective. So, you know, the business thing, because the company is growing so fast, as Elon has mentioned, we have to continue to redesign processes and systems to restabilize ourselves at a new plateau of, of volume. Yeah. And then we'll grow again and we'll need to rebuild those processes.
2: Yeah, I mean, Tesla's the only uh, company making things in volume that is fully vertically integrated all the way through sales and service, um, and, and charging and everything. So we really just need to look at total system efficiency, and say, in the limit, if Tesla was the auto industry, how would we do it to to maximize economic efficiency? Um, and, and that's and we got to kind of like recalculate that optimization. As the, as we achieve greater scale, but I, I'm confident we can we can achieve we achieve a, a fundamentally better economic efficiency than the rest of the auto industry.
1: Thank you. Okay, unfortunately that's all the time we have for today. So thank you so much for all your questions, and we'll speak to you again in the next three months. Thank you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude today's conference. Thank you for your participation. You may disconnect your lines at this time.